Welcome to She's the Brand Podcast. My name is Paula and this is our space. Us smart, ambitious women who want to build personal brands that allow us live out our versions of success. If that is you, join us on this journey. Join us on all the platforms and come along with us as we learn how to position ourselves for all the opportunities. Thank you so much for coming on She's the Brand. Thanks so much for having me, Paula. I'm very honored to be here and very excited to have a great conversation with you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, so I saw your page on Instagram and the amazing interviews that you had held with Sea Diaries. And I was like, oh my God, if only I could get her. And you know, this was even before we had this com- the last conversation. And I saw that what you were doing was even much bigger than... <laughs> what i saw Oamaka is an architect and she's passionate about young women's growth and she's had conversations with like one of you you'll find your fave on her conversations so you'll check out um see diaries tell us about how you got here and you know we know it wasn't all roses so how did you get to a place where you're like okay so i've got to put this thing out Thanks for that, uh, Paula. And I think that's a great question. And I think that, you know, we rise by lifting others. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've always felt comfortable doing was sharing my story. Yeah, so I think it's very important that um, we're all able to help one another by telling authentic, true stories about our experiences rather than um, faking it and making everybody think that it's easy and it's you know perfect so um you asked how i got here i believe was that yes. the question yes how you started and the journey so i started first of all by being a dreamer and not believing that anything was impossible i was blessed to be raised uh, by parents who did not restrict our dreams and our ambitions and always um, encouraged us to reach higher, dream further. I have this interesting story where when I was in JS3, I told my parents that, you know, after JS3 that I was done with school and I didn't want to continue. And I wanted, when I say done with school, done with secondary school, I wanted to move on to university and that they should you know, withdraw me, take me out because I wanted to take exams. Well, I didn't want to be withdrawn. I wanted to take exams and it wasn't possible. They said I had to wait and take it with my class. So I asked them to withdraw me and they did. And I took my exams as a private candidate. Um, I had to do a lot of studying, you know, I had to live with my aunt who lived in kind of like the slums of Onisha because then I went to Federal Government Girls College Onisha. And I applied to study architecture, which is not an easy course to get into. I had to take maths, I had to take physics. And um, I I got in the first try. And interestingly, my three choices was one school. So I didn't actually hedge my bets. I put everything into it and it worked out. But looking back now, I just wonder, you know, at the risk-taking nature that my parents nurtured in in us. Having said that, I did have a track record of doing well. I was responsible even at that age. So 
they believed that I could do it. And I'm glad that they did because I really felt very frustrated in school and felt like things were going in slow motion. So that starts to give you an insight into the way uh, my mind works based on my background, based on also being a creative. So I spend a lot of time in the inside world, um, creating, dreaming and imagining. And the struggle has been to learn to take the things on the inside and bring them outside. And for that, having a family that's very entrepreneurial has helped with the nurture, you know, otherwise I would be a poet or an artist right now. And that's what I would be doing. But being able to marry both, you know, being creative, but also doing it in a way that is um, revenue generating, you know, that adds the value that people are willing to pay for. So after I finished architecture, from the time I decided I wanted to do architecture, it actually was interior design that I wanted to study, but there was no school in Nigeria that did interior design. And my dad was adamant that we would uh, do our first degrees in Nigeria. So when I finished architecture, then I went abroad to uh, do a graduate program in interior design. So that was always the goal. And I finished that and um, practiced a bit. But towards the tail end, I, I realized that impact was even more important uh, to me than the actual practice of design. When I say impact, reaching out to people, I, I became a, a, a Christian, you know, not a nominal one when I was about 13 years old. And um, that really changed a lot of things about me. And by the time that I was in, um, in university, I was very active in ministry. And so I had a passion that was now bigger than the design passion that took over. And so it was more important to be efficient and reach out to people than it was to even practice the design. So as a result, I, I went back to school and I studied, um, I got a degree, a master's degree in engineering technology, where I was um, a web, an information architect and a web developer. I did that for a few years working in marketing communications. And the reason why I did that was I was looking for the most efficient way where I was still going to be creative because it was a dot-com era. I wasn't going to go into IT because I couldn't, I needed to be creative in whatever I was doing. And so that was the sphere or the spectrum. Um, that part of the spectrum what required creativity. So I chose that one. And so I did that, uh, built a lot of uh, big sites. The first website that INEC had, that the results were put on dynamically, I actually built that with a team across different countries. Uh, so I did that for a bit before I went back to um, interior design and architecture. So what I've realized over the years is that the thread through the things that I do is telling stories through design communicating through design that's such a journey and that's such a powerful story that i can imagine i expect that you get this kind of reaction every time you tell it <laughs> i do i haven't told it much it's recently i started telling you know like speaking about it um i guess as i as i also reflect on the anonymity of it because i have children now who are around about that age or past that age and i ask would i 
to the Let same. <laughs> yes. So those are things I, I begin to realize the amount of trust that was placed in me. But it wasn't really a risk on their part because I can tell you that I had, you know, like I was resolute um, that this was the path I was going to take. And so not really being hemmed in. I've, I'm not a conformist. Yes. Yeah, more of a why not type of person. So yeah, I, and I, I, when I left to study interior design, you know, I lived in the US for quite a bit. Um, 1997 up up till 2007-2008 I got married and then we came back but even that was also part of um, the understanding and the vision that I believe that God had put in my heart I believe that I needed to come back to contribute and give back to the society that had helped me get up to where I was and I felt that the country would not be complete without my personal contribution, as I feel with every individual, every, every citizen of Nigeria. So people thought we were crazy when we were going back. But that was a deal we had even before we got married. As soon as we started talking, I told my husband-to-be then that, hey, I'm planning to go back to Nigeria. What is your plan? I bet many people thought you were crazy. Yes, they did. <laughs> so, so, so they thought we were crazy initially. Uh, because those were the best years. We would move back when our peers were starting to get bigger houses and get better opportunities. And my last daughter, the one you met a few minutes ago, was six months when I got in the plane with her and I went back home. Hired a, I had a living nanny who um, was with the other two and my husband was here because he had a steady job so we planned things in a certain way whereas i took time out because i was also doing I, I was already working as an entrepreneur so i i had that flexibility and so i went back and um even the way i went back i went back for an event initially and i got a project i did the project and i did it well it, it went really well by the time I went back, they were calling me to know when next I was coming back. So I came back, I did another project. While I was doing that one, I met somebody else who saw the work and he took my number and then he called me and asked, when are you coming back? So I came back and on and on. And before you know it, I, you know, I was fully back. I'm a firm believer of using whatever it is that you have and doing the best that you know. I, I now know that you don't need to have everything figured out. You just need to go. And as you go, more steps will be revealed. I also know that for me, failure has never been an option. So in the past, I would not make a plan B. As I've gotten older, I learned to sort of hedge my bets, but I'm tossing that again. Like I'm going back to being and all or nothing, dive in, give it everything you have. And truly, when you go around the bend, that provision is there. So they say fortune favors the bold. And I, I, I truly believe that. But I believe that you can only work with what you have. If you're waiting, waiting, waiting for things to be perfect, you won't really go anywhere. 
I've watched, I, I call myself a recovering perfectionist. And I've watched as sometimes I would wait and I would see things that people have started that I thought were not very well done. And I would cringe. But then I watched as they iterated and they got better and better and better. And over time, I realized that you just need to start. And then when you start, you experientially get better. And the truth is that whatever is in your head, oftentimes is not, you know, the, the, it doesn't really interact with reality. It's just in your head and you're, you're, you're filling in all the gaps. You act, you react, you imagine. But when you bring something down into real life, something different starts to happen because now it's interacting with other entities and so other variables come into play which you cannot predict from your head and at that point you begin to react to or be proactive because yes you've kind of thought it through so the thing is you the only way you will know if your idea will work is to start it and the only way you can grow is to iterate be open to feedback when you start something so there are so many if ands or buts sometimes you think you have this great and brilliant idea and you try it and it doesn't it doesn't do much but then you find out there's one aspect of it that does really well but you wouldn't have known if you didn't start then you listen to what the market is saying and you make those adjustments so i believe that the, the effort is in being unafraid and starting and you know, not taking yourself so seriously and thinking that failure in a particular venture uh, translates to your failure. Because those who don't fail never did anything anyway. That's true. That's so true. <laughs> if you don't try it at all, then it's not, I mean, you'll never know. Yes. And in that, you know, I have this idea that, you know, when some people have ideas and they come to me and they're like, oh, I have this brilliant idea and I really want to make it work. And, you know, I don't want to tell anybody because if I tell anybody, anybody, they will steal my idea. I, I see ideas as something that exists in a certain realm. And those that are creative are those that operate mainly on that frequency. Some people stumble on the frequency. So it's kind of like things buzzing through a frequency. So I, use, I can use an Uber, Uber ride as an analogy. You get the app and there's a frequency for the drivers. There's a frequency for the riders. And so ideas are kind of like the riders, you know, they want to go somewhere. The um, driver who is logged on and says that they're willing to go somewhere, then a ride comes on. That's like the idea. And then the person has to accept the driver has to say, hey, I'm going to take this. But if you don't take that drive, that rider, somebody else will. And if you take the rider, you have to get the person to their destination for you to be paid. So if you take the rider and halfway through, you decide you want to go do something else, you won't get paid as well. So the idea of, first of all, making sure you have your car, you've got the app, you're tuned into the frequency. You've got your license, and which would be skills that you need, the things that you need um, to carry you. And then you've got to click 
accept that ride and you've got to carry that passenger or rider faithfully to their destination, then you get paid. That is powerful. That is, that clarifies it so well. <laughs> I'm sure all the creatives that are listening to this are thinking, oh my God, I never thought of it like that. And I think my job here is done. My job here was to let you pass this message. <laughs> so thank you for that. Um, I want to touch on something you mentioned earlier about creativity and business. You've always been a creative, but you had to find a way to make it profitable to, you know, make it generate revenue. So, because, you know, usually there's the concept of the broke artist and we don't want to be broke artists. We're creative. We no, have we don't. <laughs> we don't. So, um, how do you take your creativity and turn it, make it a business and turn it into revenue? Thanks for that, Paul. I'm actually very passionate about that. Um, and that is because of my journey. I've told you I'm not first and foremost, naturally a, a business person. I'm an entrepreneur by nurture. And I mean, I've been teased by my mom that you, you're just not a business person because I was, I'm more about getting the work done and creating. But when I started, um, my furniture business, so I, I manufacture furniture and I do interior spaces or oh, I that in my first or second iteration let me put it that way or season I would do custom designs and I would work for very very high net worth individuals and I could make 300 3000 percent profit on a product because it was art so I could put whatever price tag on it and it was unique However, the problem I realized was I had to create every single time to be paid. And I have other aspirations. And so to me, this was not an efficient way to operate and was not sustainable. Also, my clients were tied to me. So in the same way, you know, as a creative, um, whether it is you know, you make artworks or you make things, but it's not a system. It means that the day you don't work, you don't get paid. And that's a problem, the, the inefficiency of that. And then I think really for me, the criminal aspect of it was your learnings are not utilized. You learn something designing one piece and you're not able to use it again. The next time you're doing something, you're learning something afresh and there's no documentation of what you, you learned. So you can't scale. And that means that one can't actually make more money. So I thought about it and decided I was going to do a product line. Take the pieces we have done, find ways to build those pieces in a way that it can be broken down through division of labor and it could be repeatedly created. And I know when I decided that some of my teammates were sad, I mean my workers, because they were artists and they felt, oh, they don't get a chance to be so creative. And I said, no, what we're doing is we're freeing ourselves up to be more creative. Because when you take a creative process that you have learned and you put it in into production and it's, it continues to generate resources for you, it actually frees your mind up to be creative 
because some of the mundane aspects of creativity are not actually creativity. So you do it once, you get it done, the building, and articulating in a way that other people can contribute to the process and get it done. And then you keep yourself in the creative aspect while the money keeps coming in. That is, that's the best definition of scaling that I have found. For someone who is a creative, but um, in, in, more, in a more service capacity, how would they do this? Service capacity, like, um, can you give me an example? Like an interior decorator, for example. You know, it's more an idea thing. It's more your presence or your consultation, like an interior decorator that's a consultant, not like creating the pieces themselves. How would you... Okay, feel? I see. Yeah. So I think very, 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 very important is understanding that people pay for products. So breaking your business down into products especially nigerians i wouldn't generalize to say africans but that i know of nigerians value products more highly than they value services because they're tangible i remember when i was working when i first started working i worked with uh, it's called interior options now it used to be design point that was my first job intern and then after i graduated and i was doing a project and i had the, some fellows came and when we finished the work, spent so much time, they came and said they would pay for the paper because they didn't want to do the work anymore. I was incensed. And I went to my boss then, Mrs. Shoji Barry, and I said, I have a problem with this. I know I get paid a salary, but it's not okay for me to work and people don't value the work. I think you should charge consulting for people that, and it becomes a deposit. And when they make an order, I know it's furniture we're selling at that time, you know, when they make an order, it gets taken off their order because I wanted them to value the work and it wasn't good enough for me that someone would tell me after the work and the thoughts I'd put in, they would pay for the paper. And so that's the mentality. So I would say have a product. You know, you, you've got to think things through in a systems-oriented uh, type of way. If you're an interior designer, you can have a product that's space planning. You can have mood board. I did... Um, I did procurement services. So there are people who maybe I didn't have the time for them or they would not be able to afford to purchase from me. But I knew that I knew where you could find every single thing, like almost everything in Lagos, like in the nooks and crannies. And so they would pay me a percentage and for time to go. I've had people fly me out of the country to buy things for them because, you know, they, they trust my judgments. So in each of these, it's you thinking it out to be a, 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 um, a product. Otherwise, you do these things for free and you tag it and say, you know, OK, if it's space planning, is this number of rooms for this price? Help them understand what the benefits are. And so it's the same thing with almost everything in the creative, every aspect, being able to break it down in a tangible way that there is clarity in the value that is being communicated and what is being exchanged. And there's a worth, there's, a, there's an amount that's being paid. I'm actually putting together a course on this for creatives and it's likely to be for female creatives particularly because the inability to scale holds a lot of brilliant people just bound, tied down. And you have people that are much less creative who get it immediately because they either have been trained in business 
And without that training in business, one is waffling and figuring it out. And it took me a long time and I, I would like for it to take people a lot less time so that more women can scale and make more money and not be as bound uh, to some of the challenges women face now where you know you have beautiful ladies who it's either they're compelled to marry people that they don't want to marry or be kept women because there's so much money and it's easier to get in quote to get money other ways but then their their choices are severely limited whereas they have a gift that people would exchange money for and many times like i said they're giving it away for free or not using it efficiently or it's just lying dormant there because they don't value it and they're working in a job that they just hate because they believe that's the only way they can make money. You have entirely summarized the reason why this podcast is here. It's like we're all so gifted and so worth much more and the getting up and the doing it or even believing in yourself enough to get up and do it, that's where the problem usually is and this just shows me that i was entirely right to think you were the best person <laughs> to come on here i'm so fired up i'm sure that my listeners are fired up as well so please tell me when is this course coming because we are interested we're definitely interested i probably would be sometime in october november well this last quarter of this year maybe there's a waiting list or something that we can put a link in the description so anybody that's listening to this and is interested, they can join the waiting list and, you know, get to know when it comes on. So I'm looking forward to it. You did say that you were very driven and you very early on knew what you wanted to do. But how do you keep going? Like, were there days when you thought, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to live any purpose, impactful life. I just want to rest. I don't... <laughs> How do you keep going? How do you stay driven? I have run out of steam at times. Actually, as we speak now, I'm coming out of a six-month hiatus that I took off. I just switched off everything and went back to the drawing board um, over the last six months. So this is the end, the end of it, where I'm coming back into things, where I had a look at how far I've gone, where I'm going and to figure out where I'm going next. Um, had that probably about three times in my life where I just totally run out of steam and I have to go back inside and, you know, look to God, look at the things that I have done and figure out if I'm still going in the right direction or whether I need to course correct. Sometimes it could also be that I reached the end of what I can do where I am and it's time to move on to something else. So yes, I, I, I have run out of steam. So one of the things that, um, that I do at those points, first of all, I keep, I keep notes of any idea that I have. You know, I, I've maintained since I think 2014. I, I used to have a journal. Now I just use like my OneNote and I just type the stuff down. So that's number one and write the different things. Now I have some kind of a chart, like a mind map of who I am, where I'm going, and what the different um, expressions of my creativity are possibly, the ones that I can do now, the ones that I might have to do in the future because I can't do everything together. 
and which one is most pressing that I must, I can give myself to. So that way it's not all the ideas and not all the opportunities that come, I come across that I, um, that I take advantage of. It would just depend on whether it aligns with my purpose. One thing that I know that has been very important to me, I am more mission driven than I am um, financially driven. So I used to be, um, I, I'm a part of the Stanford Seed Transformation Network. And um, the first time it was set up in 2016, I was the pioneer president. And when I, when we started, one of the things I thought about was how can, how can I get these powerful CEOs to contribute and give back? And I know they're mission driven and they're already doing their, um, what do you call it? Um, CSRs in their companies and, you know, thinking about how as a group, we could be mission driven. And from there, we started something called the startup impact training for entrepreneurs, which is a free training that is done. I think every month by these big entrepreneurs that have scaled already and they teach things like operations management, you know, marketing, different things. And we started it since then and we've been doing it. So things like that looking for things that are impactful because when you share and you give to others, it actually fuels um, your your zeal, you know, to do more and you see the, the, the entire ecosystem just growing. So for me, many times is looking at the results, remembering that I'm mission driven and um, taking those as wins. But there are times when I'm discouraged, certainly. You said something about moving on and the times where you have to pivot and maybe you'd come to the end of something and it was time to start something new. Um, our, mm -hmm. our audience, our community, uh, it's young women, right? People who are really just starting out. I don't think they've built anything for like 10 years, right? So for people in first 10 years, I think it's very, pivoting is a very sensitive thing where mostly just starting things we've, we've we've not exactly had to end anything so when you reach a place where it's time to drop something and pick something else up it's very confusing and very disturbing and really <laughs> painful so um what would you say for somebody who is probably at the end of something that she's been working hard on or really loved and it's time to move on hmm <laughs> This really, really, really speaks to me and it's, it's, it's not an easy thing to do. I think that is why it's really important to know your core purpose and where you're going and why you're doing what you are doing. Um, for me, generally starting something and moving on to something else is actually very easy. It took a lot of discipline to stick to one thing for a very long time character building because there's also that problem of sticking with things through the difficulties and not just dropping it because things have gone wrong so uh, being very intentional first of all to say what is it that i'm trying to achieve where is this going and what is the growth that needs to occur if you have that you can always go back and look at it and see the goals that one is trying to serve sometimes um the, the 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 challenge is not that the thing needs to stop but you need to stop that thing and that is why being systems minded is very important 
Because if you're systems mind, minded, you work yourself out of a job. So you build it up to a point where it doesn't mean that if you walk away, it dies. So that's one. Sometimes it needs to die so that something else can grow. But having that discipline to not feel like you're always indispensable and building everything around yourself. I think interior design is one of those things that usually has to be built around the person. But I just so desperately did not want things to be built around me. I really wanted it to be something that was separate because I knew that I had a bigger core and a bigger purpose, which is the, the more of the impact. And so for people who are trying to figure out, you know, how do I move from one thing to another? I think you need to be sensitive to, uh, is this still serving me? Is it working? Have I outgrown this role? And am I playing small? And that, that really has to do with you believing in yourself and your abilities. Um, when I say believing in yourself, it, it, it's your, your potential, let me put it that way, and be willing to do the work. I think that if you are to do other things, either bigger or other, as a creative, you would see these things in your mind and they would haunt you. You would see yourself in places and you will see some people doing some things that you know that you can do as well. Sometimes better, you know, but sometimes you're bound by life and the things you've tied yourself to and re releasing yourself from those things and launching out because now at this point you're in a comfortable space you're in your comfort zone and to launch out into something new requires you stepping out of your comfort zone and placing a bet on yourself but you have only one life to live and you don't know how long that life is for so at the end of the day why not try of course you can take calculated risks like training in a new venture or a new area over time and being truthful about your skills and your ability you can also talk to people that know you really well that get you and ask them if you're blind you know what they think is your essence and see if it aligns with what you believe because sometimes you find out that there are things you did not even know you had skills and gifts in that other people tell you that you can operate easily and effortlessly in. And then also aligning that with the reality and what people are willing to pay for. You know, matching that new thing you're going to do with, there's a timing and opportunity and the readiness of the market that also comes into play. So when I started as an interior designer, the market actually wasn't ready for interior design. Maybe they're more ready now. In other words, they were not as willing to pay for consulting as they were willing to pay for furniture and the products. So you say one was in a premature market, market and if it's premature, it's premature. So that again is where you have to balance out with the business side. And when you check everything and you decide that you really want to do this, you want to give this a try. Find people in the industry that have, that have gone ahead. So I did that too. I spoke to some people and they were top in their industry. Like I spoke to Mrs. Shonibari at that time when I came back to get the lay of the land. And people were very generous with their knowledge. Like now in the new industry that I'm going into, 
I've spoken to the top people in those industries to get wisdom from them. And people are generous with that information. So as I craft my direction, I've, I've talked to people who have already walked in those shoes and so that I don't make the mistakes that they made and I can um, uh, frog, leapfrog over certain uh, challenges or stages. Thank you for sharing with us so generously as well. So now I have two questions from what you've been saying. And the first is you did mention something about not thinking small and just believing that your potential, that the capacity will come. So, you know, life again, life happens and environment and situations make you feel like you just cannot go beyond what everybody else is doing. Um, how would you say would be the best way to get out of that when you're feeling stuck and you're feeling small? Yes. I'm very excited about what you're doing. And it's, you know, aligns with, you know, first of all, getting yourself a tribe. Change. Change the circle around you. That's number one. Be with people who are go-getters. Tag along with people who are already where you're trying to go. I think something that is very important is to be generous. I've seen this notion with a lot of people who feel like they must never be cheated, they must never be used. I cannot underscore the importance of learning sometimes by um, what's the word? Almost like interning. You know, sometimes you, if you go to school, you pay. You're paying and they give you knowledge. You might not have the time to go to school, but you can go to hang around someone who is already where you are and offer them a service. You know, just because you want to learn. You know, and there you're in the trenches, you're seeing how things are. But when you're the kind of person that believes that nobody must cheat me, nobody must use me, you find out that you're, you're stuck with your little knowledge and you're stuck with your mind. Just hanging around certain type of people, types of people, just blows your mind, expands your, your, your horizons. The truth is that it takes as much work to do small things as it does to do big things. So you might as well think big. The same effort, it's criminal to think small, the way I see it now, and I have used the word criminal twice, but I'm saying the amount of effort that one puts in. And this is something I also was cured of, you know, some self-limiting beliefs. And how I was cured is by seeing people who have dared and who have succeeded, who might have started with a lot less than one has already. And they just did it anyway. So, Understanding that it takes the same amount of energy, the same amount of effort and sometimes resources to do something small as it does to do something big. You might as well think big. Go big or go home. Or go home. All right. I love it. Thank you so much. I can tell the person listening to this is fired up. I'm absolutely sure of it. I'm absolutely sure if this fired you up, please send me a DM and say, Paula, this is exactly what I needed to hear. 
and I'm going to forward it to Wamaka. She, she definitely needs to know the impact that she's making right now. So I know I said I have two questions, but now there are three and we've answered one. So um, the second question is that you didn't, you mentioned that you found the top people in the industry that you wanted to get into and you spoke to them. That brings us to a matter of networking. It brings us to a matter of access. And you know, that's not, that's not anything they teach in school. It's really conversations like these that give us insight as to how to get to talk to these people and how to get this access. So could you touch a little bit on that? That's actually a really important aspect because if you have your skills, that will take you a long way. But having access exponentially increases your growth, exponentially. And the way you have that access is through networking because it puts you on a platform and shortens you know, the reach. People are having a conversation somewhere. They want to pick one person to provide a service or to buy something for. I mean, it's only they know you and trust you that they'll bring you up. So the person that gets that opportunity gets it because someone in the room knew them, not because they were better than you necessarily. So the question is, how do you become top of mind to that person or those people in the room? I mean, there are other aspects. You, your work has to show for itself. You must be excellent. And so in that, I believe, first of all, would be what kind of person are you? Are you somebody of value? So I talked about how to gain, what's the word? When you're going into a new space, you know, attaching yourself to people who have gone further ahead. But what incentive do they have to give you a chance? Find out what they need and provide that. You've, you, you, you want something, but you're not willing to exchange, to give something. Do you see? And you find out that person or those people, they don't need that much. So it's, you, they can very well do without you, or there are many people that can provide it. But if you're diligent and you have a heart of service, you would find a way, you would find something. And so being that kind of person that is always a person of value in the circles. I talked about um, a project that I was on where I had to give up my seat for somebody who, you know, really needed it, but was much further along. They didn't ask me, but I was the one that saw they were really tired. And I insisted like three times and, you know, they eventually, you know, came and sat down and I stood up. I did it because I saw that they needed it and I had empathy. But what it has done, it, it, I wasn't trying to get anything in return. But understanding and asking yourself every time, how can I serve? What can I do? That's the first thing, because you make yourself to be a person of value. Not a person that wants to take, take, take. People always want someone of value around them. And to be a person of value, you've got to also do things well. What you provide has to be of high quality. So yes, I gave a seat, but sometimes it's data, it's information. It has to be good information. And you have to be a person of discretion. So I told you I spoke to some people in the industry I want to go into now. I didn't name drop. I didn't tell you who I spoke to now, right? And as a when as i operated as an interior designer i would go into people's bedrooms people's homes i would see how they lived you would never hear from me after i've left what their homes look like and how oh my goodness they live like this 
And in the course of the relationship, they would divulge a lot of personal information about their families, about their personal um, situations in moments of vulnerability. But they came to trust me and they would say a lot of things to me, but I would not repeat them and I would be empathetic. So turning yourself into a person of value, that's the first thing. You know, then being out there, putting yourself out there, going to events, but that going to events is not about being as forward as you can get. It is proving that you're, val you're valuable and knowing yourself and being a good listener, very important. You get to someone and all you want to do is talk about yourself, what you can do, you know, what you do. It doesn't really work. Seek to know that person. There's a book called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie Jr. I read it a while back and I implemented a lot of those things in my life. And it's helped me win a lot of friends where I listen, I ask them questions and I'm genuinely interested in them and then try to remember the things about them. When people know that you value them, they want to also give you something of value and they want you around them. I hope you guys are taking notes because I am taking notes. <laughs> you touched on putting yourself out there and being seen. Um, as a brand, if you're, if you're trying to leverage the internet to make yourself seen and make yourself visible, from your experience, what does somebody do? Like, what did you do to position yourself and to communicate what you wanted to communicate? I, I think that you would need to, first of all, know what you want to communicate first. I think that would be the first step. Yeah. So you're not all over the map. And many creatives are multi-talented. So there are many things you want to say. Distilling what is the core thing, first of all, who you are and how you want to appear to the world. Um, what is your story? I mean, that's pretty much what it is. And how does your story intersect with the person who's consuming it why should it matter to them so being able to tell your story in a relatable way that's still once again seeking to add value that adds value to them adds to their lives i believe is very 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 important so the ability to communicate your value consistently to people out there is what builds your brand and in doing that doing it with excellence even what your tone is what your style is you know i i mean in private i think i'm a bit funny in private but i i couldn't be a comedian today and then be you know an interior designer tomorrow and something else i mean some people can do it uh, but knowing which one is the front, but I, I mean, I'm not saying, I don't have enough of that to be a, a, a professional comedian, but I'm saying being today, you're a comedian, you know, tomorrow you're a serious person in quotes. I mean, comedians are serious person, but your tone yeah. is serious. So people get whiplash and then they start to not trust your brand because there's no consistency. So that is very important, deciding if you're someone that wants to be off the cuff, that's okay. Just be consistent. That's your style. You know, someone who is always joking, that's great. You know, someone who tells the truth, 
in a very firm manner or you know just no holds barred be that but when you start to show something different people begin to not trust your brand so i would say know who you are know the story what your story is and how you want to frame it know your tone you know what is your language what is your voice and of course who are you speaking to you know who is your brand for defining that if possible have an avatar a specific person that you're speaking to and continue to speak to that person because then you will know all the things they want to hear all the things they want to see if it's a customer whatever it is and then cater to that and then i think also you need to take feedback and as you grow your brand also evolves but always put your best foot forward this is essentially a matter class guys i want to get a little personal i want to ask you about the family slash business slash work um situation that every woman that's trying to build anything comes across at some point you have your kids you have your husband you have your family on one side and you have your ambition and your purpose and all of the things that you're supposed to be doing outside of the home on the other hand so how do you first of all do you believe there is work life balance and how do you balance or juggle or so Paula I do not believe there is work life balance um I think someone someone used the word equilibrium but equilibrium is still balance isn't it yeah I I I believe that um at every point in your life more so for women but it should be for everyone but with the way society is more so for women if you're a woman that has young children or even intends to have you know get married have young children there's certain things that you know cannot be replaced so for me i've had these dreams and the things that i wanted to do the impact but then you impact the world and your house is a mess then you're a failure So for me part of my success criteria is the kind of children that I produced. To be frank with you that helped guide the number of children that I had. Because growing up uh my mom had five children and she worked really hard to ensure that we were well raised. But in doing that meant she had to be such a disciplinarian and you know almost every interaction with her was like she was dealing with you because by the time she finished with finishes with the fifth child it's back time to start with the first child again and so i wanted to be able to pursue my dreams i wanted to have children that were well raised and as a result i i figured that i i, I needed to not have many children so that the children would be i would be able to devote time to them but also be able to do other things that i needed to do so that's how serious that is Now of course you can make plans and some people are still waiting for children so it doesn't mean but I'm saying how serious it is and I was adamant you know when we discussed my husband and I discussed I mean we came to a happy compromise but I'm saying it wasn't the one of leaving it that by mistake oh now another child has come I made sure that another child will not come so that's an example Now when you have those children you know there there might be a time where you're pursuing your career and your children are also needing your attention being sensitive to 
the fact that the time when your children need your attention the most is not something you can come back to. If you miss that window, you've missed the window. So arranging and strategizing things to understand that I, I use the analogy of a juggler. You know, a juggler may have seven balls that they're juggling and they're just putting their hands up and throwing it off. And usually they can hold only two at a time and the others are in the air. Now, if a juggler is juggling eggs and an egg drops, like Humpty Dumpty, it falls down, you can never put it back together. And there are some things like your children, some aspects, sometimes even your relationships, sometimes that you cannot put back together, at least within your own power. So making sure those things don't fall. Now your career can fall, bounce on the floor, and then you pick it back up, it's like a rubber ball. So de 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 determining which ones are rubber balls or tennis balls and which ones are eggs is critical. And I think that is how you balance. So you know whenever it's time for this one, you must catch it, even if the other balls are coming. So that for me would be how I think that people should look at things. So for my children, I've had to, you know, choose, even when I changed from, at some point I was doing a lot of building, like renovations, full turnkey projects, but then I was out till midnight, 11, and my kids would have gone to school. And after a while, I realized I can't do this anymore. And that was part of why I started doing the furniture. Because the other one was actually a ton of money. People would give me, at that time, almost like a hundred million, like up front, and say, just build it. So it was good money. But my children, I wasn't seeing them. And so making the decision to cut strategically, just cut that off. Because I didn't want to look back with regrets and choose something that was not as profitable at that time. Because I knew that I would be accountable for this. And I didn't want to have excuses later. So now I can pick those things back up because my kids are out of the home. And I can pick up where I left off. I think people have to count the costs. Be intentional. And ask yourself, what price am I willing to pay for this dream? What are the things that are most important to me? And you've got to be truthful to yourself and be intentional with your life because your results will speak for themselves later on. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experience and all of that. Where can we find you? Because I'm certain that my people will want to find you. So where can we find you? <laughs> yeah, Paula. Well, thank you. You can find me most of the time on my IG account at Wamaka Okoye. Um, there are a lot of things coming up. Um, for those who are not in Nigeria, I just started a masterclass on going home. That one is goinghome.gearshiftafrica.com and that is class on people, classes for people who are thinking of moving back home, helping them to decide whether they should go or not and if they do, helping them plan, um, understand the factors for people that um, have transitioned successfully, what factors made those happen. And then with the other classes and courses that we're talking about, which all have to do with leadership and ethical leadership 
creative business people, all of them, you can always find the information on my Instagram account at Wamaka Wobis, at, at Wamaka Okoye. Wobis is my maiden name, at Wamaka Okoye. So follow me on there and you'll get lots of information. On um, LinkedIn, I'm also at Wamaka Okoye. Thank you. And all of those links are going to be in the description. So just hit the link and find her and make sure that you make use of all of that access. Um, I know that there's seed diaries as well. I'm going to drop the link in the description as well. You have to watch those interviews. You absolutely have to watch them. Thank you so much for being on She's the Brand podcast. Thank you, Paula. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for being a part of the podcast today. If you want to find out more, head over to the show notes or you can head over to polapool.com slash podcast. Make sure to search for She's the Brand in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else podcasts are found. And click subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.